praying early, but we're okay with that. Whoa. Hope you've had a great week, and uh, welcome to the midweek services here at Delreda. A little bit of reverb, so I'll let the guys upstairs control that. You may have an old-fashioned Bible with a spine. If you do, Acts chapter 2 is where you need to be. It seems kind of strange still to open your Bible in an, in an iPad, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, I'll let them play up there. Um, there are godly people that are using technology now to access their Bibles, and it's okay. I still don't, I'll be honest with you, but I do have a Bible on my phone. I just can't read it. It's too small. <laughs> but on an iPad, you can go like that, and the writing gets larger, and it's okay. So... Hope you've had a great week. Hope you're blessed. Uh, know that you're blessed if you're in Christ. And, uh, and we have started uh, two Wednesday nights ago the study of our roots. And I thank very much uh, Brother Doug last Wednesday night for covering the rest of chapter one as I was gone to Birmingham to visit with my son. And I uh, bring you good news about that. He had a best visit yesterday with him. He's still there for a little while longer, but hopefully he'll get to come home. So we're, we're, great, we're grateful to God. By the grace of God, he's uh, doing much better. So thank you for that. Twelve years and uh, twelve chapters, twelve Wednesday nights. <laughs> it just so happens that the numbers align in this particular case. There is a chance that if I'm too wordy or uh, if y'all make a lot of comments, which is always welcome, I love that, please do, especially today or, or any day. Um, and we won't get to chapter 12, but if we don't, then that's okay. That's all right. Uh, we could go on and uh, continue and do it another month if we want to or, or whatever. But the good thing is, of course, moments of Bible study that we have in the congregational fashion here are supposed to be just the beginning, uh, a spur to personal Bible study, which, of course, I hope you and I are involved in, and personal Bible reading as well. This is a book that we should know well if we grown up in the church, and uh, so maybe there are not a lot of new discoveries, but uh, uh, the, the theme sometimes helps to, to help us remember. Our roots, our roots, where did it come from? So, you know, on your, in your home, maybe you have a wall with pictures of uh, previous generations, and I think I've mentioned that we have one of those. We have pictures of, of my, uh, my father, my grandfather, and uh, they are there on the... Uh, uh, with a team of oxen on a cart in Missouri in the uh, 1930s. That's when my dad was born. And, and there's the history of our, of our family on the Edwards side going back to our Missouri farmer roots. And then there's the picture of my, my grandfather in World War I, and there's the picture of, of uh, my father-in-law in World War II, and the roots of where we come from. Uh, that's a, a human family, it's DNA. Um, we're talking about a bigger, a bigger context. When did the church begin? <laughs> um, there's only one answer to that question, but there's a sense in which I would suggest to you that the uh, idea for the church began um, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, there's a sense in which. Because 
Um, you and I are part of, as we're in the church, uh, we're part of something huge. In fact, the biggest, uh, the most important movement ever in the history of the world. There's nothing bigger than that. No, no politics, no anything. The fall in the Garden of Eden, wherever it was in the mind of God, I know that his intent was to fix that which we broke, Adam and Eve, our forefathers in the, in the human race, and, and to fix it. And to fix it, well, the fix was going to come, uh, uh, foreshadowed through the children of Israel and Abraham, but it was going to come specifically. In the first century AD, when he would send his son, the incarnation happened, and there you go. And of course, um, the answer to the question, when did... Uh, this thing called Christianity began. It began in the Garden of Eden, but the church. There's only one answer, right? When did it begin? Um, our roots, that's what we're talking about. Actually, might be good. Acts chapter 2 is where we're at. You want to be there, but uh, maybe we should go ahead and remind ourselves of uh, Matthew 16. If, even if you don't go there, I'll pu- pull it up before you right here. Here's the context. This is about six months before uh, Christ goes to the cross. And uh, um, there is a statement by Peter that's very bold. Finally, uh, he gets it. Uh, he declares Jesus to be both uh, Messiah and, uh, and, and God, Son of God. And in that boldness of that statement that Peter makes uh, in that moment, then Jesus blesses him with following words. I tell you, Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It's verse 18 in particular I'd like you to uh, point out. The word church, um, I'm not sure. Matthew, I think, is the only gospel writer that uses the word church. Uh, I could, uh, Don't quote me on that because I think I have to check it out. But the word church, we're in Acts chapter 2 at the birthday of the church. It's in the day of Pentecost, a Jewish festivity, religious festivity, that most probably happened on a Sunday as we know it, because the Pentecost was the Feast of Weeks, called Feast of Weeks 2, and it was seven weeks plus one from when the Sadducees uh, celebrated Passover. And that means from the Sabbath of Passover, add seven weeks, add one day, 50. That's what Pentecost means. It means 50 in Greek. And so probably the birthday of the church happened on what we call a Sunday. How meaningful would that be if we could be 100% sure of that, right? On a Sunday. On the day of the Lord. The day of the resurrection. All of the above. That would be neat. I tell you, Peter, says Uh, Jesus to Peter and the apostles six months ahead of time on this rock I will build future I will build there are those that say the church already exists in the Old Testament Uh, false (laughs) I don't know where you would get that I could go see what scriptures they try to quote but I I'm here to tell you there are other theories by theologians thrown out that the the church was a was a was an invention a concoction a uh, well-meaning creation of the apostles after Jesus left. Uh, False. Uh, Here he announces it, right here. 
He says, upon uh, what you just said, Peter, Peter just said, you are the Messiah, and you are the Son of God. Upon that statement, upon that belief, upon that truth, upon that idea, I will build my church. I will build my church. And so, um, no, the church is intentional. The church is historical. It begins in a specific moment in time. Um, the, um, the need for the church is, is already there in the Garden of Eden, but there is a, there is a historical date in which uh, we trace our roots. We are Judeo-Christians. We are people of the Bible. But Christianity, as represented by this people, the new Israel called the church, begins on a specific day in a specific place, and that's what Acts chapter 2 is about. It's all about that. So uh, that's where we're at. And, of course, it's a long chapter, but it's very familiar to us, too. But uh, interrupt me any time you would like to disagree, add on, uh, whatever you'd like. It's your class, so make sure you do. So uh, I'd like to begin with uh, that in a second. Um, here is how Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, he doesn't have... Chapters, divisions, titles of the chapters, or verses. He's just telling a story. He's telling a story of the first 30 years of the New Testament, and he's doing it by uh, summarizing and being the best storyteller that he can, and he's inspired on top of that, so protected from error. But he uses his own words, his own organization, as best I can tell, of this story, and he's selective of it. I, I think it's the spring of the year 30 A.D., that's when, to the best of my ability, I place the uh, end of the ministry of Jesus, approximately three years, the uh, third time that Jesus goes with the apostle to Jerusalem, and he told them in advance that he would be arrested and betrayed and he would be crucified, but I'll be back. And that's what happens. So, um, biggest holiday of the year for the Jews at uh, Passover the year 30 AD, Jerusalem swells from 200,000 to 400,000, and then a, a, a series of amazing events take place in connection with uh, several days of Jesus going into the temple courtyards, debating the Pharisees and the Sadducees, like walking through a gauntlet, he debates with them, and then the establishment of the Last Supper and the celebration of the Passover with the apostles, and then the arrest in Gethsemane, and then the trials, the false trials, and then Pilate, and then the crucifixion, and then seven hours on the cross, and then the burial in the tomb of a rich man before uh, the sun goes down on that Friday of that spring, the year 30 uh, A.D. Uh, let's, let's review mentally things that they should have been talking about in Jerusalem. <laughs> wow. What about that Friday? Let's list the things that happened. Amazing things, right? Like what? Like the separation of the 90-foot-high curtain, which they will be discussing for years. And then an then, uh, earthquake. And dead walking around in Jerusalem? Now, that would get my attention. What about yours? And here's another one. Three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. We've seen, uh, we've seen uh, you know, the eclipsing of, of the moon before, but not, not the sun in the middle of the day. And thus, 
Three hours of darkness. 20 years later, geographers in Rome are still going to be discussing how on earth did the sun (laughs) eclipse for three hours in the middle of the day. They're still going to be wondering. There's only two options. A natural phenomenon or what we call, we know better, supernatural phenomenon. It's a day in which God marks. Mark this day. My son is dying on the cross. Mark this day. Know that these are signs that this day you need to remember. That's what happened a few weeks before, Acts chapter 2. And then, of course, 16 Roman soldiers running uh, a day, two days later, uh, three days the way they counted, to the Sanhedrin saying, uh, we saw angelic figures, the tomb is empty, he's gone, and they paid for the lie, and, uh, and then there are the most amazing 40 days that follow the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he meets uh, the apostles multiple times. He sees them in Galilee. He sees them in Jerusalem. He sees hundreds at a time. He sees individual people. And then Acts chapter 1, which is where we were at last time, which is, well, the chapter in which Luke needs to tell you and the readers, unite the readers of the future, um, the uh, final instructions of Jesus before ascending into heaven and how the early church replaced a missing person at the table of the apostleship. So we have this selection of um, the one to replace Judas. Chapter 2. Wow. Chapter 2 is wow. amazing. Amazing. It's our roots. It's where the church comes from. It's the birthday of the church. It's the official birthday of the church. It happens in a historical date. If Jerusalem swells to 400,000 during that day. It swells again, even if not to that point, on, on 50 days later on the second most important holiday of the Jews, Pentecost. And that's why in the temple courtyards, there are going to be a, a, a ton of people in the temple courtyards. Let's read it. You comment on it. You tell me what you'd like to extract, highlight. Uh, this may be sufficiently enough known to us, but... but we should not be ashamed because uh, we have been known as the Acts 238 people. I'd say, yes, bring it on. This is where it starts. This is where the story uh, is, reaches a fulcrum, an important moment. Jesus did say as he was sending into heaven to the apostles, final instructions, don't leave Jerusalem. Evidently, some of them planned to leave Jerusalem. And he says, don't. Now, the distance between when Jesus ascends and when the day of Pentecost is, is I think about seven, something like that. So they stick around in Jerusalem, don't go back to Galilee. Something amazing is going to happen, and they're going to experience it. And that's where Acts chapter 2 begins. Chapter 2, verse 1, let's read a few verses here. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from the heaven. Sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided, uh, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is from the ESV. If you have a different um, wording or translation that you think is meaningful to highlight for the class, make sure that you do. First question is, who's they? Uh, scholars disagree, but I think the majority are correct. <laughs> uh, 
since there is no division of chapter 1 and 2 here, they is whoever, the they, third person plural, is whoever was being spoken about in the verse right before. It's called antecedent. Okay? There are those that say that the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 that were gathered, as you can see, Mary, the women, etc. That is one theory that, however, doesn't find grammatical evidence for it. <laughs> and what I say that because, again, if there are no chapters and verses, then you, who, the they, the answer to the question, who's they? Who's gathered in this room? Is it all 120 or just the 12? And the answer to that is stated by the verse right before, the last verse of chapter 1. They, in my opinion, is the apostles. They. Now, is it true that the gift of the Holy Spirit, the full measure of the Holy Spirit, is going to go upon, be upon as a gift to others than just the 12 apostles? Is that true? Yes. That's Acts chapter 10. That's Acts chapter 10. And it's going to be some Gentiles, right? It's going to be some Gentiles. So it's true that in the scheme of the uh, birth of the church, there are two groups of people that receive uh, the, Holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we can call it. And it's going to be a group of Gentiles in the living room of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. But who is it now? Uh, Paul, Peter will say in Acts chapter 11... Uh, what happened to me, or what happened to them, the Gentiles, in the living room of Cornelius, is just like what happened to us back then at the beginning. And he will use that expression, at the beginning. And he means this right here. He means right here. So who's in this room when it happens? In my opinion, my reading is that it happens on, on the 12 here. They were all together. Uh, some point to all as the meeting to, needing to include the 120. I, uh, I don't think so, because if you read the last thing, it was talking about 11, and then they cast lots, and all now means 12. That's how I read it. Yes, sir? Right. Who's in the temple courtyards? Who's in the temple courtyards? Uh, you're, you're referring to that, right? Because at that point, there's been a transition from an upper room to the temple courtyards. And so who's in the temple courtyards? And you're pointing out, well, again, the text says uh, the, uh, Peter and the 11, so it still refers to the, to the 12 here on that particular day. What marks, again, how does God mark the historical importance of this day? How does God mark it? Suddenly there were, here are the signs. Uh, um, here are the signs. There was wind. Uh, can we give you any other examples of, of how that's a theophany? That's a, a God thing, okay? Wind as a God thing. Any, any remembrances? Old Testament. Elijah. Or how about uh, Job? It's uh, more like a, a tornado, but <laughs> it's still wind. Theophany is how God appears to men. He appears in a burning bush. There's, there's fire right there. Here we have... Uh, the ESV says divided tongues of fire. What does your translation say? Does it say divided tongues of fire? What does it say there? I forgot to look up the Greek here. Anybody help me there? Does it say divided? No? 
just says, okay, I was wondering if that word divided is inserted. I'll have to look that up. But uh, where are they at when this happens? Uh, they're in, in, and it filled the entire house. They're in a, they're in a house. They're in a, they're in a house. So, so let me go to a house. So this is a model of Jerusalem of the time. There are lots of two, three-story houses, terracotta roofs. Most uh, uh, homes of downtown Jerusalem were uh, in the Hellenistic style, Greco-Roman. And uh, one of the upper rooms there, that's where the temple is, right up there. Uh, let's, one of these houses here, it's in an upper room. If you go to Jerusalem today, they'll show you the upper room. And uh, an upper room that the Crusaders identified in the 11th, 12th century uh, we are, cannot have any reliability on that at all. So the question is, is the same upper room in which the uh, Last Supper took place? Again, we can't answer that question, but we, we can ask it here, okay? All right. Um, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. So here is the, um, the wind, the uh, tongues of fire, and uh, the ability to speak in a language that you've never, never studied. Uh, you know that my first language is Italian, so uh, if you didn't know that, I guess I could just switch to the language that I grew up with, and, and uh, you would think that I just got baptized by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that would be incorrect. Um, I believe that in baptism I received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but I did not receive the gift of uh, speaking a language <laughs> without studying it, uh, studying it uh, for years, uh, including the grammar and the spelling and all, all that stuff. Here's the question that arises. Uh, where are they at when the effectiveness and the use of this gift makes sense? Where are they at? Where are they at? Well, here is again the, um, the uh, where they're at. Jerusalem. Upper room. Somewhere up there. But that's where they're going to be in the next verse. They're going to be in the temple courtyards. Here's a, a design of the temple courtyard. So there's a transition. There's a geographical transition from an upper room somewhere in a house to uh, the temple. The event starts in one place and carries out where it needs to go. Because the function of speaking in tongues is for what? What's the purpose? So they can preach to thousands that are collected in the temple courtyards. They're not going to be speaking to each other in foreign tongues there's going to be speaking foreign tongues to, to people that are in that courtyard. And that's uh, what is the transition between verse 4 and verse 5. There's a transition here. Uh, look at what verse 5 then says. Stop me if you want to add something on. Or... Now there was dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the, mul- the multitude came together. and They were bewildered because each one was hearing. What sound bewildered them? I think it's not the wind. Even though I don't have any evidence that the tongues of fire are gone. So when you see paintings of this event, they usually put... Uh, but uh, the, the, the language and the communication seems to be what's bewildering them. Because they are dressed like Galileans. <laughs> they, they, they maybe even knew them. Uh, from d- days or weeks before. But now they're speaking a foreign language that, that they never studied. And they, they're doing it. And, you know, it's kind of like uh, one time I heard a, a Finnish girl. She's the most amazing linguist I've ever heard. Six languages fluently by the age of 21. And one of the most amazing things is she spoke 
English. She was from Finland. She spoke English like she was from Dallas, Texas. And it was scary, the inflection, and the just how on earth did you... Do you sound like you just walked out of Dallas, Texas, and you know, with a cowboy hat and everything, and you're from Finland? Now that's called skill and it's called abilities. I'm supposing here that the bewilderment is from languages. What do you think? Yeah. Every nation under heaven, this sound the multitude came together, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. I think that phrase says it. Uh, yeah, maybe the sons of fire were on their heads, the wind. Uh, the sound of the rushing wind was there, but they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all those who are speaking Galileans? Here again, the inflection. They are, they're, they're supposed to be speaking Aramaic, which is their language, with a Galilean inflection. Kind of like, you know, Southern. Raise your hand if you speak Southern. Now confess. Come on now. Oh, thank you. Only Mrs. Purvis. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. All right, uh, you know, we speak with an inflection. Uh, I've told you, when I started preaching up in Tennessee, they told me, where are you from? I said, McEwen, Tennessee, that's where I was born. They said, no, you're not. You're not from there. You don't talk like us. Uh, so I said, you mean I have to, I've lost my drawl. You know, I've lost my, oh, where you uh, uh, pull things out. Are not all these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? I think we've discussed this before, so I want to, you know, somebody asked, well, no, what's going on here? Does the Apostle Peter just switch to, you know, one of these languages? Uh, what languages? Well, look at the next verse, please. And these are the languages that are being heard. You see, there's a ton of Jewish visitors in the temple courtyard that day. And Luke gives us a geography lesson. And he says there were Jews from Parthia. and There were Jews from uh, the area of the Medes, Persians, okay? There were Jews from Elam. There were Jews from Mesopotamia, between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. There were Jews from Judea. You go, hell, now wait a minute. That's just, that's like saying, you know, Alabamians from Montgomery County. I mean, what did, why is that one there? <laughs> that's kind of strange. Uh, there are Jews from Pontus. Oh, wow, Pontus, that's by the Black Sea. Asia, that's where modern-day Western Turkey is. Phrygia, Pamphylia, again, parts of Turkey, belonging in parts of Libya, North Africa, and uh, Cyrene. Visitors even from Rome, Jews that had come for the Pentecost all the way from Rome and even from the Arabian Desert. There are Jews that live in all those parts of the Roman Empire. They're there because it's the second most important holiday. And that's who are the targets, the recipients of the gift that the Holy Spirit gives to the 12 apostles because they can speak their language. It grabs their ear immediately. It's kind of like if I were to walk in the mall down here and I were to hear Italian, I can promise you in two seconds flat, I would run up to those people and say, where are you from? And I love hearing Italian because that's, 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 that's my language. Where are you from and what are you doing in a mall in Montgomery? What on earth brings you here? These are Galileans. Look at the map. Here are all the regions that these Jews are from. They're from there. They're from there. They're from Egypt. They're from, well, that's where the event is happening. They're from Mesopotamia. They're from Elam. They're from Parthia. They're from Media. They're from Cappadocia, Pontus, Phrygia, Asia. Uh, Luke is giving us a geography lesson to say the apostles were either speaking 
all these languages by the effect of the Holy Spirit, or they were speaking and being heard. I don't know which one, and it doesn't matter. It's a God thing either way. It's a gift. It's a miracle. And it's another amazing sign that this is the most important moment in history. There's the, there's the birth of a virgin, a virgin birth of a child. There is uh, uh, three years of ministry with uh, miracles galore that Jesus used. There is the, uh, the uh, teachings of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, now these uh, other signs that God places in this story to mark uh, the importance. You and I, our movement, Christianity, we have rich, deep, the most important roots of all. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We should not be hiding. We should be saying, this is the roots that God designed and intended for us. It's called the church, and it was born on the day of Pentecost, probably the year 30 AD. This is where it's at. So, any comments on these verses so far? Anything you want to add? Oh, come on now. There's more than 12 languages. Okay. So, one of the apostles did double duty. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> kind of like, uh, you know, you start talking and uh, say, well, I don't understand that language. I think I'll, I think I'll go. And on the other hand, you hear your language, whew, you make a beeline. I imagine it happened that way. You know, if we have to, I imagine it happened that way. You know? Kind of like me in the mall here. If I hear Italian, whew, beeline. <laughs> I'm there. I'm finding out where those people are from and how they got lost, you know. <laughs> Any other comments? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Uh, again, I I'm open to both. The apostles were speaking it, so they just uh, with the gift they just were speaking it. They speaking Parthian. They were speaking uh, Cyrenaic language. Uh, they were speaking, or they were speaking and they were thinking words in their heads, and then the Holy Spirit was uh, putting it in inflection and in a dialect and a vocabulary that's of those people uh, that were there. So one of the two. Well. Verse 12, if you and I had been there, we would be amazed. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Okay, uh, first you take in, okay, what's going on here? Then you go, these are 12 Galilean fishermen and tax collectors who, who are speaking foreign languages, that, and they're, 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 they're no way. What is going on here? Uh, remember, the Pharisees and Sadducees said any time they had to explain a miracle, whether it's either from God or it's from Satan. And since they didn't want to accept God, they said it's from Satan. So is this Satan here in the house of God in the temple courtyards? But others were mocking. The skeptics have always been there. They were there in the first century. They're there today, too. They're drunk. They're drunk. And, of course, Peter's going to have to address that. Uh, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. 
I mean, think about it. If you get drunk, you speak a foreign language you've never studied. Really? When has that happened? They're drunk. That is an irrational explanation of an amazing event. Absolutely irrational. Okay? Comments? Things you want to add? Peter standing up with the eleven. Lifted up his voice. So uh, no microphones have to speak up loud. Large crowds in typical yards and address them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, several reasons why he said that's illogical. You don't drink this early in the morning. Secondly, it's a holiday. It's a it's a Pentecost. There are lots of reasons why a Jew would not uh, get drunk at that time, on that date, in that place. Lots of reasons. That doesn't make sense. Besides, how do you speak a foreign language? This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And Peter, whether he does it immediately, I don't know if Luke's giving me a summary or not, he jumps into the explanation. Joel. 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 He quotes from a prophet, one of the 12 minor prophets, that the, uh, the, 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 these Jews that have come all the way from these distant farms, in their synagogues back home, they studied and they teach their children the prophets. The law and the prophets, that's what synagogues are for. They have them memorized. And so it quotes from Joel. Prophet Joel uttered, and here it is, chapter 2 of Joel. And again, the prophecies of Joel are given either 9th century or the 7th century. Um, uh, that matters less now. Here's the point. Now, uh, Peter tells all these devout, highly religious made a trip from thousands of miles to the house of God, Jews. What you have studied since you were children, the prophecy of Joel, they're happening today. They're happening today. This is exciting stuff. In the last days it shall be, God declares, and by the way, um, I don't think the text in Old Testament says in the last days, but we talked about it, I think, two Wednesday nights ago. Jews saw... History in three chapters. There was patriarchal, mosaic, then messianic. And last days refers to the messianic chapter of life. And we're in it right now. And when the sun comes back, when Jesus comes back, that'll be the end of chapter 3. And this is what Peter is saying. In the last days it shall be so that I will. This is how chapter 3 begins. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. All flesh. That means not just Jews. See Acts chapter 10. Your young men shall see visions. It will be marked with visions and with dreams. And even on my male servants, even slaves. It won't matter if you're a slave in a Jewish household. All nations. In those days I will pour out my spirit. They shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above. Signs on the earth below. Blood Fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood. Now, the interpretation of those last verses, Brother Bob, you want to try it? <laughs> okay, this one's a little more difficult here, the interpretation. Uh, what's that? It's figurative language. There's a temptation to want to give a literal meaning to things like this. Uh, what is literal is visions. The Holy Spirit's going to be on, on your children. Uh, those are all literal. Those are coming. Those are right there. Now, the 
blood, fire, and vapor, smoke, and sun. Um, I'll remind you that um, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, uh, when he's talking about the uh, destruction of Jerusalem, I believe, uh, makes reference to this imagery too. What's interesting about that is that 40 years from this date, uh, the Romans will come and they will destroy Jerusalem and the moon won't be seen for months due to the fires burning. Literally, the moon will turn to red. The records of the time say fire, smoke, Jerusalem burned for months and you couldn't see the sun except through a filter of smoke and the moon as well. So some want to tie that event 40 years from now to this. I'm not sure it's very meaningful, but here again, the important part is Peter is saying, what you studied as children uh, from Joel 2, it's happening today. Today is the day. Any comments? All right. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. And here's uh, the import, most important part of the gospel. Man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. <coughs> Excuse me. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. However much time we have to share our faith with people, it's got to get to this, right? Uh, I don't know if Peter had it longer than this, but this is the crux. This is the... the as uh, Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story, actually it's the most important part of the story. It gives meaning and understanding to everything, right? It has to come to the carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth, was delivered up, and you, as he points the finger to uh, thousands of Jews that have come to Jerusalem for this holiday, and he points to them, or maybe he's pointing to some of the Sadducees and Pharisees that are hiding in the midst here, you crucified pointing to Jews, by the hands of lawless men. Who are the lawless men? Who actually put Jesus on the cross? Romans, right? You did it. You crucified him by the hands of lawless men. But God took what you thought was the end story and, and, and made it new. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death. And then he quotes from David. So Joel, a prophet, and then he quotes from, from David, David says concerning him, uh, I saw the Lord always before me. This is the second Old Testament quotation that Peter makes in the recorded speech that we have. He is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. And then here's the important part. You will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let the Holy One see corruption. Who's talking here? You will not abandon my soul to Hades, the, the, the world of the dead, the world of the dead. Right down street from the temple, maybe even in view from the courtyards, was the tomb of David. That's how it was marked. It was like a gigantic uh, pyramid-like structure. You could see it from down there. There's a point right down there. David is dead. David is not resurrected. David's bones are in there. So go back to what David said. 
Who's talking here? It can't be David. You will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let the Holy One. Who's the Holy One? They revered David. They revered Moses. David can't be the one that doesn't see his soul go into Hades. Or see his body see corruption. Um, there was a presentation on the evidence of the resurrection of a colleague of mine this past week. And, uh, you know, uh, there are lots of reasons for which the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a logical uh, explanation to many things. But one of the things I think I pointed out to you before, there are two women that come to put spices on Jesus' body. There's Nicodemus who tries to put spices on Jesus' body after the fact because they didn't have time Friday to do it. And there are lots of wasted spices, hundreds of pounds of wasted spices. And that's fact number 400 as to Jesus resurrected, his body did not see corruption, which is what David said right here. Who is David talking about? He's saying to the Jews who know Old Testament well. He can't be talking about himself. He's buried down there. Who's he talking about? You have made known to me, as he continues the quotation, the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, Peter says to all those fellow Jews, pious fellow Jews that have come from so far to celebrate the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Harvest, as it's called, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. His tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet, knowing that God has shown, has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And now, Peter, how long had Peter understood that? He, he, he probably has understood that for several days, weeks since the resurrection of Jesus. But by inspiration, it may be that now he's being indi- indicated by the Holy Spirit, quote that to them, prove to them that what they are expecting has happened, and it's happened here and now. This Jesus, God raised the... And of that we are all witnesses. Who's the all here? Uh, could be the 12, but it could be there's some others there too that could raise their hand and say, I saw him. The 12 definitely say, all 12 of us agree. We saw him. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. He's not with us now. God has taken him up. He ascended into heaven. I'll tell you that story, Peter might say, if you want to. We were all sitting there with our mouths wide open when we, when we experienced it. He is sitting at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What you're seeing today, the languages, bewilderment, what's going on. David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord said to my Lord, If David is saying this, who's the first Lord and who's the second Lord? If David is saying it, the first Lord is God and the second Lord is his son, Jesus, who is the Lord of David. And David is speaking that from a thousand years before through prophetic utterance. 
Maybe David doesn't understand everything, but he knows that the Messiah is going to come through his descendants. And it has, and he is, and he's the carpenter. Let all the house of Israel, conclusion of Peter, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I only have about a minute, I think, even less. Okay. Well, you know what follows next. It's, what did they do? What did they do? The power of the gospel is still ours. We cannot let people diminish Acts 2.38. It's both true and powerful. What did they do? What did 3,000 pious, devout Jews do? What did they do in response to this? We're going to see the activities of the early church, what our forefathers, ancestors in the faith did, because what they didn't have is church buildings. <laughs> what they didn't have is songbooks. What they didn't have is, what they had is, okay, now what do we do? We detach from the temple and we go where? We detach from the temple and we do what? What's our new holiday? What do we do? Where do we go? What do we do? <laughs> First thing, how do you get right with God? And the answer is still the same, right? How do you get right with God if you are cut to the heart? Well, I'm out of time. Thank you.